0: How many of you guys have ever had someone had an experience where someone has refused to forgive you? you? You think about it in your head, you ever had an experience where it's just like, man, I just don't, I don't I think that person has withheld forgiveness uh, fr- from me. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have withheld forgiveness from someone else? And so begin to think about those experiences. And I want to ask you a question, why did we do that? Or why did they do that? Some of you guys know stories of, of, of other people who have gone through th- things like that. And you know you, uh, there, there are certain situations or scenarios that go around where it's like, well, this just didn't work out because of this. What are some of those what are some of those things? And I don't want to be rhetorical here. I really want to say what would keep you, or what maybe in that person's viewpoint would keep them from forgiving you? Anger? Pride? Make that person feel better about themselves? Right. You got the upper hand. Mistrust. What else? Resentment. Fear. fear, Jealousy. Good. You being vulnerable. Just the lack of. I agree. I I love it. John Church preached it a long time ago. The cost of authenticity is vulnerability. Right, John? All right. (laughs) What else? Control. Control is it interesting? We hear these things and it's easier to think about, well, that person has that versus this is why I don't forgive, right? What else? Spite? Just, just, I'm not going to offer you this. I know you need this. I know you want this. I'm not going to give it. What else? Because you're hurt. It just hurts too much. What else? Just lazy about it. Mm. It's easier just not to deal with it than it is to go through the hard work of making things right. What else? Ignorance. Ignorance. That's good. Wow, there's way more than I thought you'd give me. That's good. (laughs) I had to think about it. So so when you're in that environment then, how how does that make... Say you're on this side of someone not forgiving or withholding forgiveness... How does that make you feel? What are, what, are the, what are the feelings you have? we we'll would be vulnerable for, with each other for a minute. Nothing? Numb. Guilty? You feel guilty? Helpless? You said hurt. Injustice? It's not fair. Sad? Frustration? How I many of you would admit that? Like, what is wrong with that jerk? Or Jerk at to be equal opportunity, I was thinking about I wanted to come up with a really cool story or whatever that just feel like where forgiveness was withheld or i couldn 't forgive or you know and 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 I was just thinking about the the only areas of my life in which I think this thing has happened there 's been two things that constantly surround two identifiers, one of them is usually is that. Um, someone will not apologize, right? We withhold even saying, I'm sorry. Or we withhold giving that person what they need in order to forgive. You know, this this, this agreement that happens. And the other thing that was unique to me that came to my mind, but I think is very true, is just the, the fact that we disagree about the facts. Ever been there? Where you just can't come to the same foundation and so there's just this unresolved thing that happens and we want to fix stuff or whatever but it's just very difficult to deal with that today we're looking at a scripture that's really kind of a difficult scripture i think it's a it's a messy way that it's taught but i'm pretty sure jesus was doing this on purpose um but it's about the unpardonable sin the unforgivable sin it calls it an eternal sin that's just something that can be done that cannot and will not cannot be forgiven. And when I think about that, and I know about the nature of God and, and his love and His all these things that instantly gives me a little dissonance in my heart because I'm like, nah, that can't really exist, can it? You know, what can you do? And then if you're like, if it does, well, that scares the fire out of me. What would, you know, let's stay away from that one. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think as we begin that, we have to start with a couple f- foundational truths or, or thoughts or agreement or whatever. The first, and I think the main thing is this, is that if we are here and, and we believe in God, and we believe that he is the creator of the universe and that his ways are higher than our, he just knows what's going on, then what we believe about an eternal sin, or what mankind believes about it, um, is relatively, honestly, it's, whether we believe it or not that it exists, is relatively unimportant. What's truly important is what God thinks about it. It's infinitely important. Okay, and so that has to be our starting point. It can't just be, well, I don't like the way that feels or looks or whatever. And so instead of wrestling with who God is, I'm just going to decide, no, that's not. I, I think if we were to come in here, it would be an incredible waste of our time to leave um, and not just be seeking, God, what is truth? What is truth? And how do you feel about this in my life? And so I want us to start with that attitude. And to be go, as we look at this scripture and see what's going on in Mark chapter 3, we know that this has been tracking the life of Jesus as his ministry. Um, he had spent some time. Um, these guys, he was really kind of discipling the disciples before they were even believers. Like this pre-conversion discipleship was happening. He was saying, just watch my life and later it will make sense. And he's walking them through, really challenging some of the most important things to the religion of the day. He had just gotten done challenging fasting and, and, and the Sabbath and, and what that is made for. and what that. If you, if you miss some of those sermons, please go, go listen to them. Uh, Trey, from what I understand, I didn't get to hear it yet, did an amazing job last week in talking about uh, has he called out his disciples then to walk with him and that, that for them to be sent out as well. And here we are in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Verse twenty. So I'm going to pray again. I'm going to ask God just to lead us in this. God, would you give us some insight to this scripture? Would you help us, God, to to understand it in our minds, but allow us to get it in our hearts? Would you help us to see uh, what this looks like and how this should translate into our lives? We want to see you in this. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Jesus entered a house, verse 20. And again, a crowd gathered. So Jesus, all these people were coming. They were following Jesus because he was healing people and he was doing amazing things. He was speaking with this strange authority that people could, it was tangible. People just wanted to be around him, especially those who were sick because he was healing people. And so uh, they were just coming just, just to touch him, to be healed. So there was this, all, it was really kind of chaos going on. I think in the scripture from last week, it it even mentioned that he told the disciples to get a boat. So in case the chaos got too much, he could go out on the boat, right? He entered a house and and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So that's chaos. They couldn't even get to the hors d'oeuvres, you know? When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, they went to take charge, they went to try and control it and change the scenario that was going on, and they said, he is out of his mind. It's like, what is he doing? And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, remember, is this this, this holy huddle of men who, who were just watching Jesus and trying to indict him and judge him and question what he was doing as he was questioning what they were doing and their way of life. And they said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So, so they're accusing him of gaining his strength from Satan. You're not of God. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. So he said, let me tell you a story, fellas. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You know, I think we could spend, you could honestly spend a month just on that statement right there. When you put it in context with all else that God, that Jesus taught about unity If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. I would have loved to just been there watching Jesus talk to these guys and seeing how they were absorbing. What's he saying? What's going on here? He's outsmarting us, you know. It transitions into a significant scripture and he's saying all this, set this up. He says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this, verse 30. He said this. Well, why would he say this? Well, he said this because they were saying he has an impure Spirit, is there really an unforgivable sin? Is there really something you and I can do that God just says, no, that's it. You're done. You can't be forgiven. No matter how much you ask or know how much you beg or, or no matter what all this other stuff. Can there really, is there really an unforgivable sin? Is there really a sin you could do all these other ones and they're just under the blood of Christ? But this one is just, don't you want to know that? Don't you want to understand that? I do. This speaks me out a little bit. So let's look into that just a little bit. Of what he is saying. First of all, I think we need to look at a foundational truth. Is that guilt is never neutral in sin. Guilt is never neutral. Okay, it doesn't just stand in the middle. It can't just be, okay, you're guilty of that sin. But you're not going to be, but you're not really. That's the reason why that doesn't work is because that is not justice and because God is just. And if we were to back it up, this is the exact reason we need Jesus because justice is not God looking at a fallen world and going, you know what? It's okay. That's not justice. Justice is where there is a sin that is not neutral and there is a judgment on that sin and someone bears that sin and that punishment for that sin and that's what Christ did for us. So because that is paid, now He declares us innocent. But we need to understand that, first of all, the very heart and the very foundation of sin is that it's not neutral. God either forgives it or He punishes it. All right? This scripture here is one of the most clearest verses in the Bible about that fact. That we can't just go through life wondering, well, I was a pretty good dude, and so I'm going to go to heaven for sure. Or I had you know, at least a couple more good things I did than I did bad things. It's just the equation doesn't add up in the economy of what God is doing. So first of all, we need to understand that guilt is never neutral in sin, okay? So then what would be the unforgivable sin? I think that Mark makes it clear in verse 30. He wants us to understand it in relationship to the prior verses, verses 20 through 27, where he's talking about them accusing him. And for, in verse 30, he says that they were saying he had an unclean spirit. And it points back to verse 22 that says that this, the scribes essentially said, these guys were essentially saying that you are possessed by the devil. And I think it's important, okay, um, that they saw all that Jesus was doing firsthand. They felt this movement. They saw miracles happening. They were literally seeing the fulfillment of everything, their own culture, everything was being fulfilled before their eyes. And yet they could not see it. And they were attributing everything that was happening. They could not see it as being from God and the fulfillment of the the Messiah that they were hoping for. Instead, they thought this must be of the devil. So they were missing it. And I think it's important that Jesus does not say that they have committed the unforgivable sin. Do you see that in there? I think it's important. There are, uh, some, some have taught that, that the unforgivable sin is when, uh, is, when we, um, is when we accuse the work of not being of God or of Satan or, or whatever it may be. He doesn't, he doesn't quite say. He comes short of saying they have committed the unforgivable sin... But he does hear them assigning his power and his authority to Satan instead of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think this is a warning to his accusers. I think it's a warning. It's a it's a it's a warning to those who are judging where his his strength is coming from and where his guidance is. Coming from, We don't fully know if they committed this unforgivable sin, but here's what we do know. They are certainly on the edge of it, right? I mean, they are right there. They're doing all this stuff, and Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you a couple stories. This, 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 this. And then let me tell you something else. Everything can be forgiven, but there is a sin that won't be forgiven. That was not on accident. He was helping them know. He was helping them see that they were at least on the edge of it. Here's what I think is interesting. In Mark 3, verse 11, prior we saw this scripture, remember when Jesus was doing all this work? And it said, the scriptures had verse 11, it said, whenever the impure spirits saw him, the in, whenever the impure spirits, the very thing that they accused Jesus of having, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. So here are demonic forces who are seeing Jesus and they are knowing this is God. And then there is this other group of people who are trying to follow God and seeing the same evidences of faith. And they say, this is Satan. This is dangerous territory. This is what is being set up. So he's teaching kind of the, the nature of this unforgivable sin. And we don't really know that this was the unforgivable sin because we don't really know that for sure because in verse 28 he says, all sins will be forgiven and whatever blasphemies and whatever blasphemies they utter. There are no exceptions that are mentioned in this, right? There are no exceptions. In that first part, there are no, there are no exceptions to this rule. And this is what I think is important. Understanding The unforgivable sin, which I promise you we're going there, understanding the unforgivable sin is how verse 28 can be stated so absolutely, and yet verse 29 can say that there is a blasphemy beyond forgiveness. So, what does verse 28 mean? Well, Mark makes it clear in this scripture that sins are forgiven only after what? Look at the scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John the Baptist came and taught a baptism of what? Repentance. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, do what and believe? He said, repent and believe. The word repent means a a change of mind or purpose. I, I looked up a definition, it literally said, a change of mind as it appears in one who repents of a purpose he has formed or something that he does. So he's talking about a complete changing of the way we live or the way we think about something specifically, okay? This specifically about our sin and about God and who he is, okay? So it's talking about specifically uh, repentance of, of sin. Very important that repentance precedes forgiveness, okay? That we see what is going on and our need for it, not just what we've done wrong, but our whole brokenness and sin in us that we need it. So that we have to see this. Repentance comes before this uh, forgiveness or this regeneration, okay? So verse 29 is not an exception to verse 28. Jesus is not saying... uh, All blasphemies that you repent of will be forgiven, except the blasphemy against the Spirit. He's saying all blasphemies that you repent of will be forgiven, period. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit puts you beyond repentance, that you won't be able to repent of it. John Piper wrote this. He says, if a sin makes it impossible for you to repent... And we're still talking about the the nature of this sin, okay... We haven't necessarily identified what it is, the nature of it, the consequence, the impact in our lives. If a sin makes it impossible for you to repent, then that, remember, repent, to see it and to turn away, to change. If a sin makes it impossible for you to repent, then that is an unforgivable sin. Because forgiveness is promised only to those sins from which we genuinely repent. Getting a little more clear? You can't ask forgiveness for something that you don't see you need to ask forgiveness for. You can't repent of something that you don't see you need to repent for. It's very important for us to understand that. We don't just wake up one day and on our own goodness, because we're fallen and we're broken, and just want to choose the goodness of God all the time. Something bigger than just us and our will is happening in those moments. And I think scripture offers us both a general and a specific truth to apply here. And this is, we get in your outline, okay? A couple of things we need to understand and see. First of all, let's talk about this general truth, okay? There's this idea of blasphemy. Do you remember when Jesus claimed to be God, what they accused him of? Remember, anybody? It was blasphemy, right? It's blasphemy. You're not God. You're just a dude. You're taking credit for something that you don't do. And this was a major problem. It's the act of it's the act then of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God, for this religious deity that they held so high. This was blasphemy. Blasphemy applied as they're accusing of Jesus that when he claimed he was God. That they were he, they were saying, you're taking credit for what God does. And there's something about that when we take credit for something that is not ours to take credit, something just turns upside down and it loses its power. And I think if we're not careful in our faith as we try and live it out, we do the things we do. Whether we're serving the poor or we're coming to church or we're worshiping or whatever and we're doing this and and, and if we do it for the wrong reasons of of the wrong power and the wrong hope, then we turn it upside down and we make it about us somehow. And it loses its power, the source is gone. And so I think sometimes in our lives we're looking this kind of general truth. Here's the general truth. There's an evidence of true repentance in our lives. There's an evidence that happens. Okay? As we're considering this whole big picture of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, this eternal sin, first of all, we can back up in our lives and know that there is an evidence of true repentance. In Matthew 12, when, Jesus, when this Matthew taught this same experience, talking about this eternal sin, he wrapped it up by saying, a tree is recognized by its fruit. So there's an evidence of true repentance. Is it possible that if there is no change in our life or no desire to seek God, if there's nothing there, is, is, is it possible that maybe we are taking point instead of the Spirit and thus there is no true repentance? And, and if no true repentance, then no true forgiveness and then no transformation? Maybe we're taking it more than we're allowing the Spirit to lead. There is this general Truth, There's this evidence of true repentance. I think this is kind of the subplot, if you will. It's kind of this subplot that, that there will be something, some fruit, something happening in our lives that is evidence of this Holy Spirit working in us. All right? And Why is this? So what about this sin we're talking, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what about the sin makes it impossible for us to repent? It's because of the role the Holy Spirit plays in our salvation. Specific truth. Here's the thing more than anything I, th- I hope you hear. There's an enabler of true repentance. And it is the Spirit. It's interesting to me. I, I do this. We talk about God being three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We talk about Jesus all the time. We worship and talk about God the Father all the time. And the Holy Spirit sometimes freaks us out a little bit. But there is there is a role of the Spirit... He is an enabler of true repentance. And again, back to John Piper's words, talking about if if the sin keeps us from being enabled, then true repentance cannot happen. Is this, is this eternal sin? Is this thing, is this because it requires the spirit to repent? The answer is yes. So let's break it down and simplify it if you have something to write down, write these three thoughts down. The Father has planned redemption. We live in a broken world and and the Father, the God the Father is saying, I have a plan. I'm going to fix all this stuff. One day you're going to see it. Part of it is going to be my kingdom on earth now. And then in eternity, you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. All right? And so there's this plan I have that I am going to, in my justice, Jesus is going to die for you and you're going to be healed. So the plan is of the Father. The Son has accomplished the redemption and that He came down, He walked the earth and He took on our sin. And He died, Matthew Hansen always says, the, the death we deserved. And He lived a life that we couldn't. And then the Holy Spirit applies. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the Father's plan and the Son's accomplishments to our hearts. It's the Spirit's work to open our eyes To grant us repentance. And this is the weird part about it. Thus, if we reject the Father and the Son, there's still hope. Believe it or not. For the Spirit can still work in us. In fact, when Jesus, in Matthew 12, when it was accounting for this, it literally said, you can speak ill will, you can reject the Son, and you can be forgiven. Matthew 12. But you can't reject the Spirit. The Spirit is what works in us. So how do we reject it? In what way? A lot of people teach, and some say that this it's this constant rejection of the Spirit. Like, God is speaking constantly in you. And we keep rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And if we just happen to be on the still-rejecting side when we die, we go to hell. Scripture is very clear. Matthew twelve thirty two. Jesus says that, that this... Uh, where these implications are in this life and the life to come. That it's not a constant rejecting, but there is a moment, an element, a time in which this happens and it's forever. That it's not just these constant things. And First John 5.16 teaches that there's a sin unto death, literally that says, that is pointless to pray about. Thus it can't just be a lifelong rejection of the Spirit. Once it's done, it's done. The unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an act of resistance, which belittle the Holy Spirit so grievously that He just withdraws forever His convicting power. So we're ne- never able to repent and be forgiven. We won't want to. We won't want to, because the Spirit is not moving in us any longer. We have handed ourselves literally over to our own sin. And if we're to look in context here, this is the warning Jesus is giving the Pharisees. Guys, think about what you're doing. See the evidences. Feel my spirit moving. Know what's going on here because you're going to miss it. And you're not even going to want it anymore. The best news for us is that God no longer calls, holds our sin against us. The worst, sin for, or the worst news for the world is if you could hear, God will never forgive you. How then do we live in view of this possibility? You know, I, I think about that. Well, what does that mean? I, I, there's a moment, there's just this moment that this scripture is teaching us that the spirit just withdraws its, its influence in our lives anymore. How do we live in that? Well, first of all, I think very few of us really feel how serious sin really is and how destructive it really is. Mark 9, 43, I've always marveled at this verse. It says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Those are strong, those are strong words that I just want to go, yeah. And unfortunately, we often take such a such sentimental view of God's justice that we never really truly feel this biblical fear and respect for who God is and what he's really done. The yeah, scripture is very clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think we need to wrestle with these things that God's very nature is justice. It demanded the cross, but it's, it's, it's lived out through the lens of love. Three things. I hope, hope we do. First of all, I pray that we, Pray for an insight to God's justice. That's the first point of the last three things. Be praying for an insight to God's justice. Be praying, God, help me see what I really deserve and what I'm really doing in light of what you've done for me. Pray for that kind of insight to God's justice so that then it will manifest itself in gratitude towards Christ. And it begins to change our hearts and our minds. And then we will begin to learn, Scripture says, to love mercy. Have you ever thought about what that means? Scripture tells us over and over and over to, to love mercy. When we gain this supernatural insight to God's justice and His mercy, we begin to love mercy and it becomes a value that we have that we end up living out for others. The second one, how should we respond to this truth, is to seek deeply to hear from the Spirit. To listen and to respond in our life, in our new life. The scripture about Jesus calling out the 12 disciples said he called them out so that they could do two things. The first one is so that they would just be with him, and the second one is that they might be sent. This new life, to hear from the Spirit, what it means to just be with Christ. And to live in Him. And that our journey is to discover what that looks like. He's already given us the answer throughout Scripture that it looks like doing it together in unity, in community. As we learn that it's this journey that we take the posture of humility and that we seek unity at all costs. And I think the last one there is that how we need to respond to this truth that this does exist. There is a point that we need to make effort to heed the warning. Heed the warning. And we focus on the warning, not the result, because love motivates the warning. Mark 3.29 is a warning to them specifically. It's a reality, but it's a warning. Now hear the offer of grace that he literally started with. All sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. I was reading um, an article that John Piper had written on this scripture just because he's, he's a pretty, he, he knows scripture pretty well. He's a pretty smart dude if you've ever read him. Um, and he, he, he said this, this is what we need to absorb today. I urge you in the name of Christ, if by God's grace you can repent of your sin, do it now. Because you may not be able to tomorrow. Here's the good news. Can a believer commit this sin? No. Because you've already received it. If you're convicted about things and if you're struggling with things, you don't have to worry. Because if you are worried that you may have committed this sin and can't be forgiven, then don't be concerned. If you're already worried about it, then you haven't committed it. If you are worried about it, then that's a sign that you've not committed it. If you had, you wouldn't be concerned. Today, we get the opportunity to learn a little bit about Scripture. We get to hear a warning of the role of the Spirit in our lives. Because here's the truth. We still reject the Spirit a lot, don't we? We hear Him moving. He says, do this. Don't do that. Move in this. Trust me in this. Love like this. And we still go, I'm not sure, God. The implications can be vast in our life. But then the application of this is the heart of justice and mercy together. That we would live that out with each other. Let's pray.